Hey, you don't know what your passion is? Well, let me tell you, you've got a big hole in the bottom of your bucket for living with meaning and purpose. Do you love your work? Do you think it's possible? Well, you're about to find out. It's time for 48 Days to the Work You Love with Dan Miller on the 48 Days Online Radio Show. Whether you need a professional tune-up or a work overhaul, this is the program for you. Now, here's your host, Dan Miller. Well, hey, happy Valentine's Day. If you're listening to this on the day it's released, Valentine's Day. Hope you've done something special for people that you care about. I got flowers early this week. I stopped in the store to pick up some water on Tuesday, and they had beautiful, beautiful bouquets of roses there. And I thought, you know what? These are the same ones that are going to be there on Friday. Why don't I just get them today, surprise Joanne early, and enjoy them all week? So that's exactly what we did. I got them, surprised her. Funny story, actually, there was a big sign there said, a dozen roses, nineteen ninety nine. I thought, well, that's a deal. So I chose some really beautiful kind of yellow and red ones that I thought were looking really good. Got home, left them for Joanne, came back to the house later that night, and she had flowers in two different arrangements in the kitchen, two different in the living room. And I said, how is that possible? I got you a dozen roses. She says, well, I don't know. It just seemed like a lot. We started counting. There were two dozen. How's that for effective marketing? They had a big sign up, $19.99 per dozen. And I grabbed just one of the bouquets that was sitting right there by the sign, assuming it was a dozen. No, it was two dozen. And I didn't check it when I went through the checkout line. I just got them. I thought that's pretty Pretty in, ingenious marketing. Well, we got some great questions today, as always. Dan, I can't find my passion, and it frustrates me to keep hearing about it. How about this one? How can I be intentional about cultivating an abundance mindset? My wife thinks I have to have everything together in my own life before I could be a coach. God, I love that one. We're going to unpack that. Should I create a product for a big or a small audience? Well, it may seem obvious, but yet there's some subtle nuances there that we're going to look at. So we're going to talk about how to find your passion, how to be an effective coach. You know, should you? What, what do you do when you want an abundance mindset? Well, all of those and more we're going to be looking at. Our quotation today actually comes out of uh, Wisdom Meets Passion. I was going through there to uh, get a resource for one of the questions we've got here and found one of my own quotations there. So this is from Dan Meller. Live your life in such a way, living, loving, and learning, that you would want to live the same life all over again. And our resource for today, since we have questions about being a coach, is a quiz. We've got a free quiz. Are you ready to be a coach? If you go to 48days.com slash ready, you'll see that little quiz there. Feel free to take that and it'll give you our instant kind of feedback as to whether or not you're ready to be a coach. So check it out. 48days.com slash ready. Well, there's a new study out that tracked words and tweets indicates people are angriest on Thursdays. This just kind of for what it's worth thing. So researchers from Harvard ran tweets from the last three years against a word list to plot the country's happiest and angriest times throughout the week. Now, you know, 
just thinking about this, why would people be angry on Thursdays? Well, here's just some of my guesses. On Mondays, people are feeling okay because just having the weekend off. You know, by Wednesday, they realize the week is half gone. Friday, they know they're almost home free. But on Thursdays, you know, they're just kind of ticked off to have to be at work. Well, okay. I mean, the underlying premise in angry Thursdays is that people don't like what they're doing on Thursdays. You know, who are those people that are still trudging off to work each day that they hate? I mean, why haven't they joined the ranks of those of us who have found or created work that is meaningful, fulfilling, purposeful, and profitable? Well, as you know, I wrote a book, No More Dreaded Mondays. Maybe I should write a book, No More Angry Thursdays. Well, just in the for what it's worth category. A couple of good news things here. You know, we just had the Super Bowl. There were 30,000 pounds of leftover Super Bowl food there at the stadium, you know, where they had the game, Hard Rock Stadium, 30,000 pounds of leftover food that was going to go to the landfill just to be dumped. Well, some organizers got together. Actually, it's some NFL green organizers partnered with Center Plate and a food recovery charity, Food Rescue U.S., in order to facilitate the massive volunteer mission that followed the Sunday's game. Since we know food insecurity impacts one in seven people in the state of Florida, I always wonder how they get those figures. I mean, I live in Williamson County, Tennessee. It's the highest per capita income county in the state, the fourth in the nation. And we hear statistics, you know, one out of five children go to bed hungry in our county. And I'm thinking, I don't know any of those kids. Well, anyway, I shouldn't go down that path. I'm sure there are people who are struggling, but I'm just happy to know that they took the 30 pounds of food. I mean, it included uneaten chicken wings, ribs, tenderloins, and a whole lot of other things from the concession stands and VIP booths. It's expected to feed 20,000 people after it's successfully distributed between the Miami Rescue Mission, the Broward Outreach Center, Broward Partnership for the Homeless, and other organizations. Well, good deed, good ending to that story. Got a note from Ted who says, Dan, this is in the success categories again, and good news. Dan, I'm quick writing a quick message to share my story of success in 2011, when I was 26, I read your book, 48 Days to the Work You Love. I followed all the steps and applied everything I learned in the book. It took me a bit less than 48 days, but what happened changed my life forever. It's been so long that I don't even remember the specific steps that I followed in the book, but I remember having a huge list of potential careers, ranging from startup businesses that I thought I could, that would be fun, to going back to college for a degree in law or accounting. Part of my story is that I had about 20 jobs in my life, ranging from being a youth pastor, which is what I went to school for, car sales, construction, engineering, government, with my longest tenure being an Apple employee. In the beginning of 2011, I was laid off from a drafting job at an engineering firm. The company downsized, cut about a third of their employees. I finally had a good job, but it was taken away from me. I felt really powerless, like I didn't have control over my own destiny. I then decided that I wanted a side hustle to fall back on in case this ever happened again. I don't remember how, but I found your book and read it. I followed all the steps, found out that I was supposed to be a photographer. 
my favorite part of this story is that I've never, I had never at that point owned a camera in my life. My wife often reminds me that I get really gung-ho about things. I get a new idea and I'm all about that for a short time. Then it fizzles out or I stop or I give up. But I was 100% determined to follow this through till the very end. I sold a gold coin that my dad had given me as a child to buy my first camera. Then every waking moment for that whole year, I spent learning how to be a photographer. I went to workshops. I found a mentor. I spent thousands of hours on the internet learning. Then asked every single person that I knew to be a model for me that so that I could practice with my camera. I started a business, got a website, dove down the rabbit hole of being an entrepreneur. I won't bore you with all the details from then until now, but it's been eight years since I started out. Last year was 2019. I quit my full-time job working at Apple. I'm now a full-time wedding photographer. What started out as a small side thing has become a fulfilling career that gives me freedom, freedom and joy. I get to see young couples and families in the best day of their lives. I've never been more fulfilled in my work and in my life. Your book and podcast have inspired me and guided me down a path that I wish I had taken when I was younger. I just wanted you to know how much you've helped me. Thank you so much, Ted Felsberg. All right, Ted, thank you so much for your note. Uh, Ted, I looked on his website. Um, it says he lives in Mays Landing, New Jersey with his beautiful wife, Amy, and two little boys, Caleb and Galvin. Well, loves what he's doing. I Ted, I did. I looked at your site. I looked at the page on your your landing page is absolutely stellar, really engaging. And and those of you listening, if you go to felsbergphotography.com, it's F-E-L-S-B-E-R-G, you can give Ted a shout out. Told it, tell him you heard us talking about him here on the 48 Days Podcast. But great job and just a great example of taking that internal look, really following what gets your curiosity, you know, following your passion, developing that into something so fulfilling that you're doing it now full time, enjoying it and bringing joy to the world. Well, congratulations. Great example. I love those stories. And so many of you, you know, we've got a listener today, you know, who still can't find his passion. I'm going to talk about that some more. But you got to be able to identify that, what that is. And once you do, wow, does that open up a world of great opportunities? Because as you know, you know, we want ultimately that blend of talent, passion, and money. You're home free, ready to go. Well, I got a note from uh, uh, Jim James Devine. It says, Dan, I've been listening for at least 10 years. This episode, and what he's referring to, there was an episode a couple weeks ago, what kind of dreamer are you? I had as my guest, Tanisha Jackson Warner, we were talking about what kind of dreamer are you? He says, this episode was the best I've ever heard. I've always had tons of ideas, but I've had a hard time monetizing them. It was nice to find confirmation that my best spot is to continue being a teacher while bringing those entrepreneurial ideas to my job and also working on them part-time. Well, thanks for your note. Got a lot of feedback on that. That was a couple of weeks ago, episode 700 exactly, uh, January 24th. Are your dreams changing your life? At Tanisha on, we talked about what kind of dreamer are you based on her new book. And we identified those, you know, make it happen dreamer, career printer dreamer, hobby dreamer, activist dreamer, CEO dreamer. Quick quiz there for you. 
You can go back and check that out. The quotation we used back then is one that I come back to again and again and again. It inspires me. It was from Napoleon Hill, and it says, Cherish your visions and your dreams as they are the children of your soul, the blueprints of your ultimate achievements. I just don't like the way that sounds. Cherish your visions and your dreams as they are the children of your soul, the blueprints of your ultimate achievements. Well, let's move on here. Let's go on to the questions from today then. Got a question here that comes from Grant. This is the one that really his subject line is, what am I passionate about? He said, Grant says, I'm currently enjoying 48 days. I hope I don't ask these questions preemptively before I get to a chapter that answers this. But I've read many books that tell me to follow my passions, and I'm always frustrated due to these questions. How do I know what I'm passionate about? How do I find my passion? I've continued to search both myself and the internet for these answers. I can't seem to come up with an answer, which scares me a little, but I won't quit my search. Thanks for your time, Grant. All right, Grant, let me give you some pointers here. And and as I started out the show, I, I said, you know, if you don't have a passion, don't know your, what your passion is, there's a hole in your bucket. I mean, it, it's very common that I hear in response to that question, what is your passion? Nothing, or I don't really know. Now, I know that you've met people who have a clear passion. I mean, they can't wait to get up in the morning, get started on their work. They're eager, enthusiastic, understand their purpose. They're committed to living that out. I mean, that kind of passion comes from knowing what you were born to do. Now, certainly, you know, I sometimes have people ask me that as a man, just come and follow me around for a day. You're going to get a real clear sense of what my passion is. When you know your passion, have work that expresses your passion, you become a magnet for others. People who are willing to hitch their wagon to your enthusiasm. You become a, a lightning rod, not only for your own efforts, but you'll focus the talents and abilities of those around you. Your work will be magnified with little effort. I think about back the times when my son Jared was in Africa and he was working with the ladies who were marginalized. Many of them were widows because of the genocide over there. They were uh, doing things that nobody should have to do in order to provide food for their kids. He brought them in and he was determined that he was going to help them. He's drawn to people who the Bible would call the least of these, people who really have challenges in so many areas, determined he was going to help them. Well, you know what? His passion for helping them and coming up with a line of jewelry that they created and it was sold at fashion shows in Chicago, Miami, New York, places like that, Nashville. His passion for that was a magnet other people wanted to be involved. He had students from the Rhode Island School of Design that would come over there and design new designs just as interns in their program. He had people who wanted to be involved from all over the world because he was so passionate about doing what he knew he was born to do. And that's what having a clear passion does. It gets other people excited. Now, working on your own without passion is exhausting. I mean, your best efforts cannot stop the slow drain of energy in life. You don't get to tap into the strength of those around you because you've got a big leak in your own bucket. Well, you know, there, there are a lot of things in life that may catch your eye, but there's only a few that are going to catch your heart. 
Those are the ones you want to pursue. Now, here's the thing about passion. Passion is more developed than discovered. And I talk a lot about that in Wisdom Meets Passion that I co-wrote with Jared. Passion is more developed than discovered. So look at where do you have the seed of a talent or the seed of passion? Then you can develop that. I mean, when you see somebody, you know, like the late Kobe Bryant, you know, an incredible basketball player. Well, he didn't just, he wasn't born a basketball player, but somewhere along the line as a kid, he discovered the seed of a passion. And in doing that, over and over and over and over again, be developing excellence in that. Well, sure. Then passion shows up because you recognize it's something that you have talent in something you were born to do and something that you really care about. And thus you develop your passion. I mean, my passion for writing didn't show, show up full blown. I mean, I started writing because people in my little Sunday school class were asking me questions about things and they wanted more specific steps. And I started writing to have material that I could give to them. Well, then it was in finding that people really responded to that writing that I wrote more and more and more started blogging. Eventually, you know, got into books and the kind of things that I do today. Yeah, I love writing. Writing is my, uh, there's nothing I would rather spend my time doing. It's so clear to me. Nothing comes close. That is my passion. But it's because it's been developed as something that I really enjoy. Again, we want to have that three-legged stool, talent, passion, and money. That's what you're looking for here. If you are just doing something because you have talent in doing it and it creates money, you'll burn out. I mean, I've worked with plenty of attorneys, physicians, dentists, pastors, engineers, accountants, and more who have proven their ability to do what they do and they make a good living doing what they do, but they hate the life they've created because it doesn't engage their passion. Now here, here's, I want to give you a couple more tips on that. You know, a few years back, Mark Zuckerberg, who at the, at the time was 24 years old, I remember this really, really clearly. He turned down $1 billion for Facebook turned down $1 billion when he was 24 years old. I mean, at the, at the time, Time Magazine called him a person of the year, and they described his indifference to money as almost pathological. <laughs> you know, how, how would you like to be doing something that you cared so much about it that you really didn't pay attention to the money side? Money just kind of showed up unexpectedly, and in Mark's case, in truckloads. What does drive somebody? Well, it's because they're doing something they care about, something that does engage their passion. Now, you, you probably, you're familiar with Tom's shoes. You know, Blake McCluskey started that. He asked in his book, Start Something That Matters, which is a great resource for this, should I just focus on earning a living? Should I pursue my passion and find work that I love? Should I devote myself to a worthy cause that inspires me? Well, as he lays out in Start Something That Matters, fortunately, you don't need to make a choice. You can do all of those. Focus on earning a living? Yes. Pursue your passion? Find work that you love? Yes. Devote yourself to a worthy cause that inspires you? Yes. You do all of those. Now, here's, here's another piece of this, and I'll give you kind of a summary. This comes from Plato who says, do not then train youth 
to learn by force and harshness, but direct them to it by what amuses their minds, so that you may be better able to discover with accuracy the particular bent of the genius of each. So if you want to find your genius, follow what amuses your mind? I mean, how cool is that? Golly. I mean, when you look at people like Bill Gates or Oprah or Michelangelo or Thoreau or Warren Daigle, Tom Brady, Mr. Rogers, they all seem to have developed what amuses their minds. So my question then is, you know, are you trying to grow by submitting yourself to force and harshness or are you paying attention to what amuses your mind? And have you bought into that philosophy that if you enjoy something, you certainly can't make a living with that as a focus? Why don't you stop beating yourself up and just follow your passions? I mean, we heard earlier, you know, from Ted, who followed his passion for photography. Now he's doing that full time. I mean, check out the photos on his website. You'll see how clearly he enjoys what he's doing. You find your passion, you might just go directly toward success. How could you go toward success without knowing what your passion is. Well, sounds like a circular kind of argument. Again, passion is developed, not necessarily just discovered, but there ought to be clues. You ought to have clues that you can look at. You ought to have things that are indicators that are benchmarks all along the way that ought to help you. Well, Grant, I hope that helps you. I hope it's helped a lot of you listening as well. This is a recurring theme. I don't know my passions. Again, there are clues. There are benchmarks. That's the power of having a little life experience. It's actually easier to discover your passion when you're 35 than when you're 18 because the life experience itself will help you see what you're headed toward. Well, let's move on. This question comes from TJ, who says, um, I want to thank you for the valuable advice and great content you put out every week. My question is this, how can I be intentional about cultivating an abundance mindset? Are there any practical tips you can give to foster a mindset whose default is to remember that I already have so much as opposed to focusing on what I don't have? I found I have seasons where this is easier and it's more tough when I'm under some financial pressure. I want to make it a habit that I think and focus on the abundance of my life. Wow, great question, TJ. I love that. This is really important. I mean, in the 48 Days Eagles community, we talk a lot about mindset. We know that 85% of the reason for your success is going to come from mindset. 15% is the idea, you know, the concept, the business you start and whatever, 85% is mindset. All right, here's, here's some tips. Here's some tips for how to have that abundance mindset all the time. Expect the good in others. Practice gratitude. Practice gratitude. I mean, one of my, golly, one of my morning routines is after I get up and do some stretches to kind of loosen up and everything. Then I walk down the hall in our house from one end to the other, verbally expressing gratitude, gratitude for the wife I have, my kids, the life I get to live, the house we live in, the property we're on, the books I get to write. I mean, just gratitude, just over and over and over again. Yesterday I was in a doctor's office and the 
kind nurse that was uh, taking my blood pressure was telling me about her. I, I was, she knows my wife as well. She knows my wife, Joanna knows that Joanna is an artist. And so she was telling me about her grandmother who used to paint on rocks. So she would paint faces, landscapes and all that on rocks. And this gal's job helping her grandma was to go down to the Creek and with a five gallon in a plastic bucket, pick up rocks and bring them back up. And she'd bring rocks back up and dump them out. And her grandma would say, oh, no, 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 not this one, not this one. And she's like, what do you mean? They're just rocks. And her grandma would say, no, did it speak to you when you picked it up? Did it speak to you? I love that. Now, this is not just getting woo-woo. I just love the, the kind of image of that. An artist who felt so strongly about what she was going to take to create something beautiful, did it speak to you? So I with the nurse there, I reached in my pocket and pulled out my gratitude rock. Yes, I have a gratitude rock in my pocket. It's a really beautiful stone. I'm pulling it out and handling it here as I'm talking. It's a really beautiful stone. It's kind of, you could consider it a crystal, I suppose. So it's beautiful, but it's, it's only about, you know, an inch and a half long and about an inch wide. It's real smooth, but here's the deal. I carry that in my pocket. All the time. And you can ask me anytime you meet me to see my gratitude rock. It's in my pocket because every time I reach in there, you know, whether it's to, to get my keys or some change or whatever, whenever I reach in there, it reminds me to express gratitude. So that's one of the practices that'll help you develop an abundance mindset. A couple of years ago, um, we knew we were approaching a special anniversary that we were going to celebrate. So the year before on our anniversary, I wrote down in a journal something that I really loved and appreciated about Joanne, my wife. I did that every single day for a year, every single day, never missed a day. I never told anyone because I didn't want it to be about fulfilling a goal that I, you know, had shared with other people. I wanted to be because I wanted to do this. So I did that. Now, what do you think happened during that period of time? Did I notice things that irritated me about Joanne? I'm sure that I did. But you know where my mindset was? I was looking every single day for something that I appreciated about her. Now, incidentally, you can imagine the the impact of that gift when I gave it to her on our next anniversary. But if you look for the good, you're likely to see it. So have that mindset to expect the good in others, practice gratitude. And then when something happens that you wish did not, ask yourself, what does this make possible? So instead of just seeing the tragedy, the challenge, the sad circumstance, what does this make possible? Those are some tips that'll help you develop an abundance mindset. Well, hey, just a quick breather here as we roll into the next question. Just a reminder, these are real life questions coming from you, the listeners. I love getting these. Feel it an honor to be able to unpack my mailbox and see these questions that we can talk about together. Got a couple more to go here yet today, but I wanted to remind you, you got a question or success story you want to share, just shoot it into me. The easiest way to do that is just send it to askdan at 48days.com. Again, that email is askdan at 48days.com. There is a microphone and I get these and frankly, sometimes they're too long to share here, but uh, there is a little microphone if you go to 48days.com on any of the pages. 
Um, you can go to the podcast page and see there a little form as well. But the easiest way to, again to get a question in is just simply go to just shoot me an email at askdan at 48days.com. Now, this comes from John, who says, being a coach is intriguing to me. I like to talk to people and they listen. I thought about being a coach. What if your wife doesn't think you should be a coach? My wife thinks I have to have everything together in my own life before I could help anyone else. Whoa, John, I love your question. Now, here's the deal. If that were true, no one would be a coach. Now, here's the interesting thing. You know, people who teach, pastors who preach sermons, you can rest assured they're most likely teaching something they're struggling with themselves. We teach best those things that we're learning ourselves. You can teach, you can counsel, you can coach from an area that you struggled with. I mean, when you think about, you know, my friend Dave Ramsey, he started coaching right after he went belly up financially. And what did he do as a coach? He was helping people how to handle their money. I mean, I started coaching about how to run a business right after I had the biggest business meltdown of my life because I saw more clearly all the mistakes I had made. Alan Thomas, who is so active in our 48 Days Eagles community, started coaching other men to, to success in their weight battles right after he lost 129 pounds. So yes, I, I think you need to be on a success path yourself. I mean, you shouldn't be helping people stop smoking if you're smoking yourself. But if you have an area of proven expertise, you can coach others to success. You should expect to have clients whose success supersedes that of yourself. Golly, I mean, I've, I've worked with people who have become coaches whose success in that one area has far surpassed what I've ever done in that area. I mean, I'm thrilled about that. Now here's the real key to this, John. You're saying your wife thinks you have to have everything together before you could help anyone else. As a coach, you are not the source of all wisdom and knowledge. That, that would be ludicrous. You don't want to ever take that on yourself. So here's my principle for you. Effective coaching is more about asking powerful questions than it is about having all the right answers. Let me say that again. Effective coaching is more about asking powerful questions than it is about having all the right answers. All right. All right. Let me, let me do just, let's do just one more question. This comes from Chaz. I love his spelling C H A Z Chaz. And he, he titled this more noise, but more opportunity versus less noise, but less opportunity. Hi, Dan. I'm currently an elementary school music teacher in the public schools. I'm looking to spend my 15 hours a week on a new side hustle. I've got two ideas, both of which involve putting together an online course. The real question involves the amount of opportunity versus the amount of noise around the topic. Which would you recommend implementing? The one that has more prospective buyers, but would be amongst 
more noise or the one where there's not as much competition, but fewer prospective buyers. The one with more opportunity and more noise would be a bass guitar course. There are a lot of online bass courses out there. A few of them are really good and there are plenty of average ones too. The one with less noise, but also less opportunity would be a ukulele course. There's a lot more space out there for a potential ukulele course. and It would be much easier to stand out in the crowd because the crowd is so much smaller. But that being said, the pool of potential customers is smaller too, because there are just not nearly as many people as interested in learning ukulele as there are in learning bass guitar. Thanks, Dan, for all the resources, ideas you put out there into the world. I truly look forward to your podcast every Friday. Well, thanks, Chaz. I appreciate that. So let's look at this. Are you better off to develop a product or service where there's a really big market or where there's a smaller market? Now, this is not as obvious as it may seem. You may think, well, sure, every time you want to just provide something for a bigger market. Well, let me give you some examples of both sides here. Now, here's one of the principles for getting rich. You can get rich by doing something 10% better or providing added value to an already existing product or service. That's really, really solid. So you can take something that everybody else is doing. Now, let, let me give you an example. If you were to, let's say, 80 years ago, here, living here in Nashville, Tennessee, and you say, gee, we're going to start selling pizza. People would like to say, pizza, what is that? What's well, this thing, you know, that's pretty popular over in Italy. You spread out a thin piece of bread and put tomato sauce on top. People would say, that sounds silly. You know, you would spend more time trying to educate people about pizza because it's something they've never heard of before. You have a really small, well, you have a big potential audience, but it's not known. However, now you come into the pizza business, all you have to do is do it 10% better or provide added value. An example of that would be Domino's Pizza. When they got into the pizza business, we already had, you know, Little Caesars and Papa John's and all these other chains out there. See, pizza was really popular. They came in, they did not focus on, you would think, okay, if I'm going to get into the pizza business, I have to either make a better pizza or sell it for less money. They didn't focus on either one. They added delivery to a very common product and it made millionaires all across the country. They were the first ones that guaranteed 30 minute delivery, you know, made millionaires all across the country. So that's an example of that. Take what I do in a career area. If you look up career coaching, you're going to get 13, 14 million sites that talk about career coaching. I'm in there somewhere. It doesn't matter where, because that's not what I focus on. I don't focus on being a career coach. I am the guy who says you can change your life dramatically in 48 days if you create a plan and act on it. That's my distinct, unique ability. That's my value proposition statement. That separates me from the crowd. There's a whole lot of other people out there who are career coaches, but I'm the guy who says you can change your life in 48 days if you create a plan and act on. So if you can find something in the bass guitar arena that makes you stand out that distinctively, you can do that. All right. 
a couple more things on this, and then I'm going to take the other side of this story. And that is creating something for a smaller audience. If you're looking for bass guitar, you're going to very quickly run on to Steve Stein. Steve's a cool guy, you know, long hair, tattoos. He provides, he, he adds new videos, new instructional videos every week. So he's big on YouTube, Steve Stein, last name S-T-I-N-E. He has 422,000 YouTube subscribers. He puts out tons of courses on how to play the bass guitar. So yeah, it's tough to compete with something that's already that big in that marketplace. So let's take the other side. What if you decided to do something with ukulele rather than bass guitar, which is so popular? And here's one of my mantras for you there. There's riches in the niches. When we work with coaches, and we got that quiz for you to take to see if you can be a coach. When we work with coaches, I insist that they be very, very specific in who they want to coach. Now, here's what happens in that scenario. If you are going, um, well, Jennifer Fleming, one of our coaches, she decided she was going to coach those gals like her in between 25 and 35 who were kind of disillusioned with the career path that they were on. Got out of college. Gee, this isn't what it was proposed to be. This isn't what I thought it was going to be. I'm kind of disillusioned. I feel like I need to kind of get a fresh start. All right. That was her niche. She was rocking in that space. She immediately had ladies who were 55 saying, I want you to work with me. And she came back to me, you know, gee, that's not my target. I said, wow, welcome that additional business. Here's what you're discovering, Jennifer. Your niche is not based on age. It's based on a a life position, a life transition. Those gals in between 25 and 35 who are discovering that, gee, this career isn't what it was cracked up to be. They need a fresh start. You're dealing with a lot of 55-year-old ladies who maybe now the kids are gone and they're ready to get back into the workplace. Maybe they went through an unexpected divorce. They need to get back into the workplace. Maybe they're a widow. Those are the things, the precipitating incidences are the same for both of those. So it allows you, even though you're clearly identified as being an expert in a niche, you're going to have other people that are attracted to you that you didn't even anticipate. When I got into this career coaching thing, I was helping people with resumes and job search and negotiating salaries, interviewing skills and all that. I very quickly discovered my real passion is working with people outside the normal lines. People who say, I've got an idea that I'd like to pursue. You know, I've had, I had a dream when I was a kid that I've never really done anything with, but I'd like to know. So I like working with people who have ideas that take them in a very non-traditional career paths. All right. So you can do that. There's riches in the niches. Now the ukulele, remember tiny Tim, Remember that tiptoe through the tulips? Golly, who could forget that? Even it does, you may be too young to have experienced him live, but you probably have heard that tiptoe through the ukulele. Now, here's here's the deal on this as well. You know, when I look at this, and I look at this, Jazz, if I put in ukulele players, not just a ukulele as an instrument, ukulele players. I get 5,880,000 results. 
that's a really big potential audience. Your audience is really not that small. Ukulele is pretty stinking popular. I looked, there's a whole lot of video out there. I think you could do something with ukulele. And I, I would encourage you to go in that direction, frankly. And the example you gave here, whether to do something, one more bass guitar lesson, you know, or ukulele, yeah, I'd tend to go with ukulele because it is more distinctive. Now, I was reminded of our friend Ted Yoder. Ted plays the hammered dulcimer. Now, that's an unusual instrument. I was not familiar with that until Ted came into our circles. He came to one of our events, and right as he was just getting, well, as a matter of fact, he hadn't even started yet. He was a, a carpet layer. And a funny kind of story, he was a carpet layer and really hated what he was doing, but doing it to be a responsible provider. They have a bunch of kids. And um, this little hammered dulcimer thing was kind of a hobby on the side. And he lost his job because it became pretty clear to his boss that he didn't enjoy what he was doing. So he was given the invitation to do something else. And uh, his wife challenged him at the time, hey, if you're ever going to do something with this hammered dulcimer, now may be the time. He started on knocking on doors of retirement centers, nursing homes, saying, hey, I could come in and you know entertain people for an hour. That's what he started doing to get some traction, playing the hammered dulcimer. All right, today he's described as the Bella Fleck of the hammered dulcimer. Ted is the national hammered dulcimer champion. He's released five beloved and critically acclaimed solo albums and has become a master educator of the instrument. He's been profiled, Huffington Post, NPR, All Things Considered, and lots of other places. On Wednesday, now check this out, a very unusual instrument. On Wednesday, August 24th, we were very much engaged here in this process. August 24th, 2016, Ted became something of a household name when a Facebook live video of him from his Live from the Orchard series played Tears for Fears. Everyone, everybody wants to rule the world. Tears for Fears is the group. You know, he did a cover of Everybody Wants to Rule the World. That video rocketed up to 53 million views in four days. Playing the hammered dulcimer. Now, get ready. I'm going to play that for you as our outro today. I'm going to give you a little bit of that, what he played that went viral. And here's the thing. This was not in a fancy studio. He was doing this. He had to wait until some trucks passed on the road because he was in his backyard. He's in his backyard. There's no fancy studio set up. His kids are around playing. The dog is there. You can you can check out the, the YouTube video. But he played that. And it rocketed to 53 million views in four days because it was an unusual instrument playing a very familiar song. That led to some other really cool things, incidentally. It happens that a couple months later, Tears for Fears was actually playing in Chicago. They contacted him and a couple guys from the band came down and spent the afternoon in his backyard with him and his kids because of that video and what had happened. Well, fun stuff. All right, here's the deal. Here's a recap. Here's a recap. Our resource for today, are you ready to be a coach? You can take a quiz. Just go to 48days.com slash ready. But here's a recap of the points. Want to find your passion? Pursue the things that touch your heart. 
and recognize passion is more developed than discovered. Want an abundance mindset? Expect the good in others. Practice gratitude. Remember my gratitude rock that I carry in my pocket. And then ask when things don't go your way, what does this make possible? And remember, effective coaching is more about asking powerful questions than it is about having all the right answers. And then finally, there's riches in the niches. Well, hey, I hope you've enjoyed this. I love these questions. Again, you can send them in to me. Ask Dan at 48days.com. Love to include them in upcoming episodes of the 48 Days Podcast. We've got some interesting things coming up. Got a couple guests that I'm going to have short inserts in, some interesting things that I think really fit will inspire all of us in this community. But thanks for being part of this community where we know we can, in fact, find or create work that is meaningful, purposeful, and profitable. And I'm going to take us out with our friend Ted Yoder playing his Tears for Fears on the Hammered Dulcimer. <laughs> 